for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. It says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let us pray. If our Lord, again, we thank you so much to be in your house this morning, Lord, for the beautiful sunshine outside. Lord, I just lift up Brother Todd you right now as he brings the message. Lord, just open our hearts to receive the message that you have for him to bring today. Lord, just watch over us the rest of this day as we go to our luncheon. Lord, that in everything that we do, you would be glorified and that Amen. we could go out and be strengthened to better serve you. That's all these things in your heavenly name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you. Appreciate what you do here at this church for us and your service to us. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 21. The title of the message this morning is Wise Living, with the subtitle of Spirit-Filled Living. And so I want to look at that this morning. I've adapted this uh, message from a a great theologian. So five C's we're going to look at this morning. You know, in the book of Ephesians, we've been talking about Uh, what the church is, and how the church is to live out what God's called us to. And so the first uh, three chapters are what we've called our, 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 our theology, who God is and who God's called us to be in Him. That's the theology of the church. Well, in verse chapter 4, 5, and 6, it is the practical implications of that. If this is who God's called us to be, there has to be life change, Amen. If we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing in your life has changed, then I I would beg you to do an inventory. Have you really come to know Jesus? Because when you look at every person in the Bible that came to know Christ, except for one, to my recollection, walked away different, walked away changed. And even the young rich ruler walked away different. He just walked away a little bit harder. But every encounter that anyone had with Jesus, they walked away transformed. And so I would beg the question to you this morning and to myself, have I really come to know Jesus and has my life been different? That's what he's telling us in chapter 4, 5, and 6. If you're a believer, then you do these things and you don't do these things. That's the essence of Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. Well, if you turn for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 1, 16, this is what he tells us to do. It's what Peter, through Jesus, the inspiration of Jesus, tells us to do. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says this, Be holy for what? I am holy. So the standard that God has for us is holiness. Well, anyone want to know how do we do that? If that's the standard God's called us to, then we've got to get to the essence of how are we to be holy. And I believe the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 answers that question with these five things. The first thing that we'll look at is this. We'll look at the command 
the command that's given to us as the church, as individuals in the church. The command says this in verse 15. Look carefully or be intentional how you walk. Remember, we've looked at the word walk throughout this book. And the walking is our ongoing becoming like Jesus. It's our life, how we walk, how we betray ourselves to the world. So he's saying, look very carefully how you walk. Take an examination this morning how you walk. Because Paul says, be very, very careful how you walk. As what? Not as unwise, but as wise. You see, what Paul is going to do in this passage is show us there's got to be a distinction between the us, the church, and the world. And yet we would say, if we were honest with ourselves, that the waters have become muddy between us and the world, have they not? There's a great book, I haven't quite read it yet, but it's called The, the Juvenization of Christianity. Meaning we've made church junior church. You see, we've made church what our kids just went to. This, this gathering is not meant to look like what our children go down to. It's meant for the meat of the word. And yet we, the church, want to dumbify God's word. We want to make it palatable. Well, if you want God's word to be palatable, th then you're at the wrong place. You're reading the wrong word. Because there's some things in this word that are not palatable, are they? Like there's some real black and white things that God has called us to, are they not? And yet the church wants to be palatable to the world. Well, God's word is against homosexuality, but the church is beginning to embrace that. I guess we're half crickets this morning. There's some things here that he tells us don't be palatable with the word, with the wor world. There is a command to walk in wisdom. How come we're to walk in wisdom, church? Verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Are they not evil? And are they not becoming more and more and more evil? Man, just in the last week, in the last seven days, two shootings at two schools. That is terrifying. I mean, a middle schooler going into school shooting up the school a week before that a high schooler going to a school the days are evil do we believe that but do we live like we believe that because if we live like we believe that then we'll walk wisely in this world and we will be the change agents that god has called us to be we're going to get to how that's going to affect us and affect the world when we get to the passage. So he tells us to walk wisely, that the times are evil. Therefore, he says in verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord and what it is. So he's saying be wise and know the will of the Lord. Anyone ever thought to yourself, what is the will of God for my life? Man, if, if someone would just tell me what God's will for my life is, we'll turn over just a few 
pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. You see, when we walk wisely, this will be true forever. You will not ever again have to ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Because God's word tells you what his will for your life and my life as the believer is. This is what he says. For this is the will of God. That's pretty clear, is it not from Paul? This is the will of God. What are the next two words? Church, your sanctification. So the will of God is our sanctification. The only way to achieve sanctification is by walking with the Lord in wisdom is what he tells us here in Ephesians chapter 5. And so what is sanctification? It's the ongoing work of becoming like Christ Jesus. It's the middle part of our salvation, if you will. The first part, I've said it plenty of times here, is our justification. When we've gone before the judge and he declared us right because of the finished work of Christ in your life and my life, that happens in a moment. And then there's going to be a moment where all of us die. I know you don't want to believe that. But every one of us will die. And then we'll enter, if you are a believer, into your glorification. Where there is no more reign of sin in your life. You were made perfect. You were made whole. So there's this moment in time where you're justified. There's this moment in time where you're glorified. But what happens in between the two? It's called your sanctification. The ongoing work of Christ in your life. And we're going to get to how are we to be sanctified as we walk wisely with God in an evil world. It's pretty simple. Comes down to three words. Four words. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. You want your sanctification in your life and walk wisely in a world that's corrupt, then you must be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, this is a controversial subject in the church. So many people want to know, what is being Spirit-filled mean? Does it mean that I fall out on the floor and be slain by the Spirit? Does it mean I begin to speak in tongues? I don't believe God's Word speaks of any of that. Because He does tell us to be self-controlled. One of the fruit of the Spirit is to be self-controlled. And so I want to talk about church this morning. Wise living as we're Spirit-filled. There's a contrast is the next scene in verse 18. He says this. Therefore do, in verse 17, I'll read into 18. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand the will of the, of the Lord and what it is. Do not get what? Drunk with wine. But, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's a contrast here. Paul's done that a lot in this book. He's contrasted things. Don't do this, do this. Put this in the practice, don't put this in the practice. And now he tells us, hey, don't get drunk with wine. Proverbs says this about wine. Wine is a mocker, a strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now, I'm not going to sit up here 
this morning and make the plea not to drink at all. That's not the point of this passage. But it's not to be drunk with wine, not to be drunk with alcohol. Because what happens with alcohol when we consume it and we drink too much of it, then we lose our faculties, we lose our mind, we lose the ability to be wise. You go into the court system. You go into jail. And you begin to ask the men and women that are in prison how they got to prison. The majority of those men and women would tell you it started with alcohol or drugs. They were not able to make wise choices because they were filled with something else. You see, that's what happens when we become drunk with alcohol, we get consumed by something that takes over our bodies that we lose control of. And Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. You see, that's one of the things in the church. Here in America, for sure. It's become the cool thing to drink. It's become the cool thing to go to pubs and have drinks with people that aren't believers now now i'm not saying that's uh sinful i just don't believe it's wise you see we want to blend so much in with the world that the world can't tell the difference between us so that we have this opportunity but what if we had an opportunity to be sober-minded to present the gospel soberly to somebody don't be drunk with wine But be what? Filled with the Spirit. How come? For getting drunk with wine, he says, is debauchery. The word debauchery, write this in your Bible, means this. It means reckless living. When I give myself over to things other than Christ Jesus and being filled with Christ Jesus, I begin to live live a reckless life. Another way you could say debauchery is this. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation, but this is what the word literally means in the Greek. It literally means to negate your salvation. Like, if you think about that for a moment, if I'm living like the world, I'm being drunk with wine, then I show the world that there is no salvation in my life. Now, I'm not saying we lose our salvation, but to a lost and dying world, we neglect our witness to the world. And Paul is saying, church, let it not be so. Remember what Christ Jesus told us on the Sermon on the Mount. Be salt and light in the world. Light cannot lose its light. And salt cannot lose its saltiness. You either are or you aren't. There's no such thing as a saltless salt block. That's called a rock. It's not called salt. But yet the world, we, the church, wants to live so much in the world, we don't live wisely. And that's what he tells us to do in this passage. And then he says this, but be filled with what? The Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And and what Paul was saying to us, and what it means in this is 
being filled with the Spirit. It's this ongoing in our everyday life to be filled with the Spirit. And I just wonder, church, is that true for us? You see, what Paul has been doing and what he's been saying to us is to be filled with the Spirit, but he's also been telling us to rid ourselves of things. And so I have an illustration for that. BJ, this is for you, man. BJ, help me with this. Right, we would say this morning that this vase is full, would we not? We'd say, man, this thing is full to the brim with water. Like if I moved it or jiggled it, water's going to go everywhere. But what else is in there? There's some rocks and there's some balls. And yet so often in our life, we think we're filled with the Spirit, but there's things in our life that hinder us from being filled with the Spirit. Like we think we can have both. We think we can be filled with the Spirit and have sin in our life. But that's impossible because what happens if we begin to eradicate sin from our life, the ongoing confession of sin, what happens with the water? It's no longer full, is it? It's half full. And so we would say, this, this vase is no longer what? Filled. And yet Paul is saying to us, be what? Filled with the Spirit. And yet, if we really begin to eradicate the sins in our life, the way he's talked about it in Ephesians chapter 4, be rid of anger. Remember he said that. Be rid of these things. When we rid ourselves, then we would be half full of the Spirit. And so I think a lot of us would say to ourselves, we would never say this out loud. We're too proud for that. We'd rather say we want sin in our life to, assume, to portray to the world we're still full of the Spirit. Or we want both. Well, that cannot be so. That's why Paul, over and over in this text, has been telling us, rid ourselves of these things. And now he's saying to us, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And I ask the question, church. Are we filled with the Spirit? Because what happens in our lives when sin creeps back in? The Spirit goes out. You cannot live a duplicitous life, church. You cannot have the Spirit and have the world. They cannot, they will not go together. One will always trump the other. And as we just witnessed, sin in our life will always trump the Spirit in our life. And Paul tells us, don't be these things, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And I ask the question, are you filled with the Spirit of God this morning? Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Four things we see about being filled with the Spirit of God. First, it's not a suggestion. Paul, through the wisdom of God, is not saying, hey, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, it's a command from God. You, the believer, be filled with the Spirit. 
That's a command from God. Are you? The second thing is this. It's for everyone. Being filled with the Spirit of God is for everyone of you and I that's a believer. It's not for the, the, the few. It's not for the charismatic. It's not for the Pentecostal. It's for all of us to be filled with the Spirit. You see, the great beauty of the Spirit, it's not selective other than it's selective about the believer. It's for all of us. Every one of us, at the moment of our conversions, was filled with the Spirit. You have all you need, Titus tells us, to live a life of godliness and holiness because the Spirit of God now lives in you. The, sec the third point is this. But it must be ongoing. Like we can't just come and be filled with the Spirit and then think, man, we're, we're done away with the Spirit because we've been filled with the Spirit. As you and I know, you and I will have ongoing sin struggles in our life. And when we sin, the Spirit is pushed out. So we need confession and we need repentance that leads to being a Spirit-filled person. So it's ongoing. And the ongoing comes through Repentance. And the fourth point is this. I already mentioned it in the second point. It's received by everyone. All of you, if you're a believer, have received the Spirit of God, the Holy God of the universe. He dwells in you at this very moment. There's some conditions, though, that Paul tells us is the next C. The, the, the command, the contrast, the call. I may have missed that one, Jimmy, sorry. The condition. He says this, to be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do we fill ourselves with the Spirit? There's conditions that must take place in our life for us to be filled with the Spirit. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. This is what Paul says to the church in Colossae. He says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, that's a, a condition of being filled with the Spirit. You and I must hunger for the things that God hungers for. And if we believe it's true that God hungers for holiness and righteousness, we know that to, to come true through one primary way, the Word of God. He tells us in John chapter 1 that Jesus was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt with us. And so the, the, the primary way, the condition of being filled with the Spirit is, are you filling yourselves with the Word of God? Because if you're not, then there will be death that occurs. The same way, I, I'm not, I don't have a green thumb. I'm sure after saying this message that my tomato plant is going to die. But it, it would be like this. If I just went and watered my tomato plant one time for the summer, that's not going to go well. It's not going to go well either if I just water it one, once a month. 
it won't go well if I just water it once a week. Man, I've got to nurture that plant. And I've got to care for it. And I've got to water it. And I've got to look after it every single day. You see, that's a characteristic of caring for a plant. I've I got to do that in my relationship with Jenny. What would it be like if the only time I celebrated Jenny was on our anniversary? There would not be much of a relationship left, would there? Like, I got to celebrate her all the time. I got to sing over her shouts of praise and give her, just, just shower her with gifts and shower her with words of affirmation. I got to write her cards. You see, that's a condition of our relationship for it to be nurtured, for it to grow. And yet, that has to be true in our lives with the Spirit of God. If you want the Spirit of God in your life, ask yourself one question Do you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? teaching and astonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Is that true for you, church? Is that true for me? Do I really love God's word? The last one is this. The characteristics of being a spirit-filled person. Two verses, you don't have to turn there this morning. John 15, 26, 26 says this. It says, but when the helper, the spirit, the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from